Well, amen, amen. Can we give another hand clap of praise for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Josh and worship ministry team for leading us so well this morning as we have sung about the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to say thank you uh, so much for that. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you here today. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, as we are in uh, this series called Acts Amazing Boldness, where we are looking at ways where we can uh, continue the spread of the gospel to the end of the earth. We know in Acts 1.8, it says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be witnesses for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, and it requires great boldness. And so that's what we are looking at um, in this series. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 14, but before, you, before we look at Acts chapter 14, I need to, uh, I want to share something to you, uh, share something with you this morning. Came across my desk uh, today, it's pretty, it's pretty big news, I, it's big, that's why I got it, but I received a message this morning that um, Taylor Swift safely arrived in Las Vegas today. I, I just want you to know. Who cares, right? Who cares? Yeah. Right, we, got it. we got it right here. So, in case you're wondering, just she flew all the way in from Japan just for the game. So, but anyways, um, thank you so much. You know, Taylor Swift did fly from Japan to Las Vegas for a game, but you drove 10 to 15 minutes just to come to church. I think that deserves a round of applause right there. Anyways, well, if you are new to our church, um, thank you uh, for being here. And I just want to share something real quickly with you. If you are new to our church, I want to encourage you um, to download the YouVersion Bible app. If uh, you're not familiar with that, um, it's a free app that has uh, scriptures on there. But I also put my sermon notes on the YouVersion Bible app that's right there. Uh, it's free. Download it. And um, once you sign up for your free account, if you want to get to my sermon notes, um, all you would have to do is in your account, there's a drop-down menu where it says more. Once you click on more, there'll be a drop-down menu that says events. Once you click on events, First Baptist Church Brunswick should pop up or you should type in uh, First Baptist Church Brunswick and that will give you um, my notes for this morning. And so you could still come to church, you could sleep because you have the notes, all right? You're more than welcome to use those. If you don't, that's fine as well. But that's just a tool for you um, to use. And uh, last thing that I want to share before we dive into our text is uh, I was asked to make a pretty special announcement because on this past Thursday, we had a member of our church, um, who, a very young member of our church had a birthday. Miss Dorothy Thomas celebrated her 97th birthday this past Thursday. She's not able to be here in person with us this morning, but she's watching online. And so, Dorothy, happy birthday to you. We love you. And Dorothy, I just want to let you know, thank you so much for being a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And so, 97 years, that's a good time, isn't it? And she is a pillar of our church, and we are very, very thankful for her. But Acts chapter 14 is where we are. Um, I've titled today's message, Marks of a Faithful Servant of Christ. Um, when you and I, when we study the Bible, if you were 
were to uh, take the Bible and you'd read from Genesis to Revelation and you would study it and you would catch on some themes, uh, you would see and you would come to a conclusion very quickly that God is looking for people to use. Amen? God is looking for men and women to use to make a difference in this world to advance the kingdom of God. He's looking for people to use, kind of like uh, a pastor who was walking down the street one day and he was, saw a young boy who was at, at the house across the street and this young boy uh, was trying to ring the doorbell of the house and the boy was too small. He could not reach the doorbell and so he was jumping and jumping and jumping and he couldn't reach the doorbell and the boy was just looking around for help and there was a pastor, and he said, sir, can you come over and, and help me? I need help to ring the doorbell. And so the pastor said, yes, I'd be more than happy to come help you ring the doorbell. And so uh, the pastor walks over there, and he, he rang the doorbell. And then he looked down at the young boy and said, well, what do we do next? And the young boy said, run as fast as we can. <laughs> well, that's not the kind of help we're talking about, all right? But... All through Scripture, we see God saying, I want, I want men and I want women, and I want them to make a difference for me. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, we, we hear this verse. Many of you have heard it before, but it goes like this, that the eyes of the Lord look all across the earth. The eyes of the Lord go back and forth throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are completely His, so that He can show His great power in them. That's what God is looking for, and that's a great theme of the Bible. Um, one of my favorite authors by the name of E.M. Bounds, um, he wrote a book called The Power of Prayer. I highly recommend this, but in that book he said this, men are always looking for better methods, but God is looking for better people. Isn't that good? Men are looking for methods, but God is looking for people. Why is that? Because God wants to use you. God wants to use us. He, don't use, he doesn't use the lights, the microphone, all those things are great, and, and we need these kind of in our culture, but, but, but it's not the method, it's the people that God uses. He wants to use us. And so if God wants to use us, I think a fair question to ask is this, then how can we get usable? If God wants to use me to make a difference, if God wants to use you to, uh, to advance the kingdom of God, which we see that all in the book of Acts, we see that all in the book of scriptures, if God wants to use me, if God wants to use us then, to make a difference, then how can we get usable? Are there marks of a faithful servant of Christ that fulfills the Great Commission that fulfills Acts 1-8 to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, are there marks? Well, I will say yes, there are some marks. And we're going to see those in Acts chapter 14. And I want to share with you four marks of a faithful servant in Christ because we're going to see them in the lives of Paul and Barnabas. And I believe this. I really, really do believe this, that if you will live out these marks, and there's other marks as well, not just limited to these four. It's just what we're seeing in our text today. But if you live out the marks of a faithful servant of Christ, church, let me tell you this, you will make a difference in this world, and you will advance the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to accomplish. Amen? Well, if you're ready this morning to dive into God's Word, say amen. amen. 
Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Follow along in your copy of God's Word, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. But this is, this is what God's Word says. It says, in Iconium, they being Paul and Barnabas, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. And they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both Jews and Greeks. Why don't you stop there for just, just a second. Acts chapter 14 is the continuation of Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, if you remember, we introduced this last Sunday, but Acts 13 is when the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas. And the Holy Spirit sets them apart, and the church at Antioch sent them on mission on what's called Paul's first missionary journey. It's found in Acts 13 and Acts 14. Here's a map of their journey. You can see the city Antioch up in the right corner under the starting point. This is where Acts 13 begins. Well, Paul and Barnabas begin in Antioch, and they sail across the Mediterranean Sea to an island called Cyprus. And we looked at yet last week, why did Paul and Barnabas Barnabas go to Cyprus. They went to Cyprus because that's where Barnabas was from. And here's a picture of Cyprus. You remember that? I had several of you tell me, ooh, let's go on a mission trip to Cyprus. Yes. Bring your bathing suit. That would be nice. Uh, but Paul and Barnabas, why did they go there? Well, Barnabas is from Cyprus. You remember this? He's from Cyprus. He has a family in Cyprus who was growing up and looking for the Messiah. And uh, somewhere in Barnabas' life, he found Jesus. He found the Messiah. And he says, Paul, let's go to my family and let's tell them about the Messiah that Jesus has come. And what we said last week was this, that the gospel often travels through our families. Amen? Moms and dads, you have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your sons and your daughters, grandparents to your children, to your grandchildren. That's just the way the faith passes. It passes through families. Well, as Paul and Barnabas make their way across Cyprus, they come across a man by the name of, anybody remember? Sergius Paulus. Everybody remembers that name. They come across a man by the name of Sergius Paulus, and, and they share the gospel with Sergius Paulus, and what happens in Acts 13? He receives Christ. He gives his life to Jesus, and then it's quite possible that, that Sergius Paulus said to Paul and Barnabas, hey, my family is back up in Pisidian Antioch. I can't get there, but will you go tell them about Jesus and tell them about me? It's quite possible he, he said that. And Paul and Barnabas said, I think that's a great idea. So they sailed back up north on the Mediterranean Sea. They come into modern-day Turkey, and they make it all the way to Pisidian Antioch. And here's a picture of Pisidian Antioch right here. It's a beautiful place. Um, right here, that's the picture that you see, it is quite possible, scholars believe that um, those ruins are the synagogue where Paul and Barnabas spoke on multiple Sabbaths when they came to the city called Pisidian Antioch. And there in Pisidian, there in Acts 13, they tell the story of Jesus. They tell the story of Jesus through the Old Testament, which is why you can never throw away the Old Testament, amen? Because it points to Jesus. Well, Paul and Barnabas tell the story of Jesus, that he is the prophesied Messiah, the one that the Old Testament has always looked for. And then Paul and Barnabas tell them that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament, and Jesus died a sinner's death. He was crucified. 
He was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again. And he tells the glorious gospel message in this place called Pisidian Antioch. And when you read the story, and you remember the rest of the story in Acts chapter 13, it says this, many of them believed. Many of them received the news with joy. And they actually told Paul and Barnabas, please come back. Please come back to teach us more. Listen, if you ever want to get a preacher excited, invite him back again. That's a good thing, right? Invite him back, and they did. They invited Paul and Barnabas back, and they preached the gospel again, but this time, something changed. This time, when they shared the gospel in the synagogue, there were some Jews who got really upset, who got really ticked off at Paul and Barnabas that they were teaching about Jesus. Do you know what they did to Paul and Barnabas according to Acts 13, 50, 51, and 52? You know what they did? They kicked them out. Paul and Barnabas going to tell people about Jesus, the greatest message in the world, people get mad at them and they kick them out. Can you believe that? They said, get out of our city. As a matter of fact, they said, get out of our district. Get out of our state. That's what they said. Get out. And so Paul and Barnabas very easily could have thrown in the towel. They could have very easily said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. How dare people treat me this way? How dare they? Don't they know who we are? They could have said that, but they didn't. And we come to Acts 14, chapter 14, verse 1, and we see some marks of faithful servants who have this attitude of, you know what, we're going to keep going on, we're going to keep spreading the gospel, nothing's going to stop us, we're going to keep marching on. And so Acts 14 verse 1 says, they made their way to Iconium. And here is a picture of, uh, go to the next one please, yep. this is a picture of the road that they traveled on. This is called the Via Sebaste. This road, it's about 80 miles from Pisidian Antioch to this place where they are now in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, called Iconium. And this is a huge, long road. And it leads them, I'll tell you this, it leads them from Pisidian Antioch to Iconium, which is in the area called Galatia. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Does that ring a bell? Let me say another word for you, Galatians. Paul and Barnabas are now on their way to Galatia. Because about two years after this first journey, Paul is going to write a book back to the churches he's about to see. It's called the book of Galatians. And so whatever Paul is going to write about in the book of Galatians, guess what he's going to write from? What we're about to look at. What we're about to study. And so you begin to see how God just weaves all things together for his glory. Well, let's pick back up in verse number one. Let me read it to you again, and we're going to point out the, the, um, the marks of a faithful servant. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue. That's their tradition. And they spoke in such a way that a large number of people believed, both Jews and the Greeks. The very first thing that I want you to see about a faithful servant of Christ is this. A faithful servant of Christ uses their spiritual gifts. A faithful servant of Christ uses their spiritual gifts. Now, where do you see that, Pastor? Well, it says very clearly in verse number one that they spoke in a manner where the people believed. 
Meaning they used the gifts that God had given them. Apparently, God had given Paul, God had given Barnabas several gifts. We call them spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a supernatural gift that God gives to every believer to build up the church. Which means this, every believer has a superpower. Look at your neighbor and say, what's your superpower? <laughs> and every believer has a spiritual gift. God has gifted every single believer in Jesus Christ. He's given them a gift. And he's given you, he's given me, he's given us a gift to, listen, to build up the church. Your gift your spiritual gift, my spiritual gift, our spiritual gift is never to, be, never to build up our own name. It's always about the church and it's always about Christ. And so when you cross the line of faith and you became a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what happened. God gave you gifts, meaning he created you for a very specific purpose. Uh, this past week, I was watching some uh, interviews of uh, the, the, the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs as they were getting ready for the, um, uh, the Super Bowl. And um, I was watching Patrick Mahomes in his interview and what somebody asked him, they said, um, are you nervous? That's Patrick Mahomes, are you nervous? And he smiled and he said this, no, I'm a Texas Tech Red Raider, we don't get nervous. <laughs> That's good right there, isn't it? No, no, he didn't say that. But what he did say was this, no, I'm not nervous. I was made for this moment. Huh. I was made for this moment. Listen, I, when God created Patrick Mahomes, I, I don't know if he created him for that moment. I don't know, but the reality is God created you with a special gift for this moment to be used for his glory, to build up the body of Christ. He's gifted all believers for his glory. Peter will pick up this theme that, <clears throat> that Paul and Barnabas are sharing here in Acts 14. Peter picks up the same theme in 1 Peter chapter 4 when he says this, each of you are to use your spiritual gifts. Use them. Why? So that you can serve others. When God has gifted you, you use that gift to serve others. It is never for your glory. And when you look through Acts chapter 14, it has 28 verses in there. We see, uh, we see multiple times where Paul and Barnabas use their gifts. Let's just, let's just run through these real quickly, and I'll point out a couple of uh, gifts that we see in the text. Look down in verse number 21. Look in your copy of God's Word. Look at verse number 21. We see Paul and Barnabas use the gift of preaching. It says they preached the gospel to that city. As a matter of fact, the word preach is used uh, about three, four, five different times in this text. They used the gift of preaching. Look at verse number 22. We see the gift of teaching when it says they strengthened the souls of the disciples. That Greek word strengthened, it means, it means to be taught 
to, uh, to be strengthened. So they're using the gift of preaching. They're using the gift of teaching. Again, look at verse 22. It says they encouraged them to continue in the faith. Well, that's the gift of exhortation. If you have the gift of exhortation, that means you are an encourager, that you want to pick people up, that you want to build them up, that you want to encourage them. Paul and Barnabas, they use that gift. Verse number 23, it says when they had appointed elders for them in every church, here we see the gift of administration, meaning there's got to be order into the church, and that comes from those who have the gift of administration. Uh, you look back, um, look back in verse number three, verses three and ten. We see we see the gift of miracles when it says that that God grants to Paul and Barnabas the ability for signs and wonders to be done in Iconium. Verse ten, it says they they healed a lame man, and so we see the gift of healing. So we see multiple gifts that are used as Paul and Barnabas go to tell others about Jesus Christ. And here's what we know in this text, is that when Paul and Barnabas, and I want you, I want you to listen to me, okay? When Paul and Barnabas operate in their spiritual gifting, they made a difference. When you and I operate in our spiritual gifting, you make a difference, and we make a difference for the gospel. Amen? Now, some of you may say, Pastor, I don't, I don't, I'm not even really sure what a spiritual gift really is or what that looks like. Here, if that's you, that's fine, totally understandable. But here's your homework uh, for this week. You read Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, because there you're going to find a list of the gifts of the Spirit. And then... Come call me, talk to me, we'll figure it out. But every one of you has a gift and we are to use those gifts if we're to be faithful servants of Christ who want to make a difference in this world. Amen? Y'all with me? Here's number two, write this down. Here's the second thing I want you to see in our text. Faithful servants of Christ are fearless. Faithful servants of Christ are fearless. Pick up our text in verse number two. Remember they have shared the gospel in the synagogue. People have believed, it's going great, but then verse two happens. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. That phrase, stirred up, it literally means they poisoned the minds of the Gentiles. That phrase, embittered, it means this, they went behind Paul and Barnabas' back and they said negative things about them to the detriment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people who disbelieved in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they went rogue. They go after Paul and Barnabas. They attack them. They confront them. And they begin to spread malicious lies against Paul and Barnabas. Now, if that would have happened to me, if that would have happened to probably many of us, what would we have done? We probably would have left Iconium as quick as possible, right? Well... I think Paul and Barnabas are a little bit different than us. Look what they do in verse number three. Therefore, they stayed a long time there. That's crazy. They're under attack. They're being confronted. 
And it says, no, we're going to stay here. It says they stayed a long time there, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. And here's what we see Paul and Barnabas do. They are demonstrating great courage. They could have easily fled. They could have easily run, but they've chosen to stay for the sake of the believers, the new believers in Jesus Christ. Says, you know what, no, I'm going to stay. Because you you know this, if you're a new believer, you may not understand this completely, but if you've been a new believer, if you've been a believer for a long time, you can look back and see this, that that whenever you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, you can be easily manipulated. Amen? Amen? As a new believer in Christ, because you just don't know, you you just haven't been discipled. And you can be easily manipulated. And this is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're saying, no, for the sake of those who have just turned to Christ, I'm going to stay, listen, and I'm going to take the arrows. And Paul and Barnabas say, you know what? I'm going to protect the flock. And if you have something to say about these new believers, you say it to me, you shoot me with your arrows, you take me out, but you don't touch the flock. What does that sound like? That sounds like a pastor, doesn't it? That sounds like a shepherd who stands up and defends the flock. And this is what we see here. And Paul and Barnabas could have easily fled. You know, I've had people ask me on multiple occasions before, they say, Pastor, you've been in the ministry for a long time. What's what's the most most common problem that you see that people are dealing with? What do you see people are struggling with most? You know, you know what I say? What I, what I think the, most, the biggest problem is that I see in my 25 plus years of the ministry, you know, you know what I see the, the number one problem is? It's fear. We're afraid. We're scared. And today... I think you'll all agree with me. We live in an age of anxiety. Amen? We live in an age where we are afraid of everything. I mean, I remember, mom, dad, you remember this, grandparents, you remember this. I remember growing up, you remember this. Students, you have no idea. Mom, dad, you know, you could ride your bike all across your town, right? And your parents would say, just come home before the sun comes down, right? Or dinner's at six, be home at six, amen, right? Now, we have Life 360. And everybody knows where everybody is, right? Students, your parents know where you are. Husbands, your wives know where you are, right? Why, why do we do that? Because, because of fear. Because fear sets in and we think, man, I, I got to know where everything is. I've got to control all the, all the pieces. I've got to connect all of the dots because if I don't know where they are, if I don't know, if I can't control. And we live in this fear and we just get in this vicious cycle and fear steps in. And you know what fear does? It paralyzes us. It stops you. It stops your spiritual growth. It stops your relational growth. And we live in fear. And this is what I see 
that we live in an age of fear. And if I could counsel anybody of what the number one thing that we struggle with, it's fear. And too many of us, and I, I'm there too, we give in to fear. Um, uh, tomorrow morning, um, I, I have a regularly scheduled procedure. Um, it's one that everybody wants to have when they get older. <laughs> um, but, but, the, but the last time I had this procedure, I didn't get good news. Do you know what I'm saying? And can I tell you something? Fear wants to set in. I mean, fear wants to set in. And fear wants to say, give in. Don't do it. Look what's going to happen. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And that's what fear does. But church, did you know that the Bible talks more about fear than it does heaven or hell? It's not discounting heaven or hell by no means. But the Bible talks about fear more than heaven and hell. Why do you think that is? Do you think God knows that we are fearful people? I mean, Jesus himself said this in John 16. He said this, in this world you will have you don't know John 16. Oh my goodness. In this world you will have, it starts with a capital T and it ends with rubble. In this world you will have trouble. You have trouble. But do you know what Jesus says next? But you take heart. You take courage. Why? Because I have overcome. I've overcome. Jesus said that. So listen, church member, attender, guests, if there's something that you are fearful of, know this, Jesus says, I have overcome. And that if you want to be a faithful servant of Christ who makes a difference in this world for the kingdom of God, you have to walk through that fear. You have to do it. Now we know that Christ is going to give us the strength to do it. Amen? This is not in our own strength. It's in the blood and the power of Jesus that we have to walk through things. And here in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, they are walking through some difficult things. Is this going to be the last time that Paul walks through something very difficult? No, it's just the beginning. And believers, listen, many of us, we want an easy life. Many of us want to retire early, travel the world, go to Cyprus. Because <laughs> we want it easy. Listen, believer, there's no such thing as an easy life. Your world is going to be filled with trouble. 
It's going to be filled with heartache. It's going to be filled with things that you did not sign up for. And things are gonna happen and it throws you for a loop and you've let fear set in, but no, you take courage and you walk through well. So here we see Paul and Barnabas, they use their gifts. Number two, they are fearless. And here's number three, I want you to write this down. Faithful servants are humble. Faithful servants are humble. Why don't you pick up our story in verse number eight. I'm gonna read through verse 13 and I want you to read, read with me and follow along this strange but powerful story. Verse number eight, it says, at Lystra, now Paul and Barnabas have been now, have left Iconium, they've been kicked out of Pisidian Antioch, they've been now run out of Iconium. Doesn't seem like this missionary journey is going well, so they've been kicked out, but now they're at a city called Lystra. Now on a little side note, here in a couple of chapters, we're gonna be introduced to a new character in the scriptures by the name of Timothy. Guess where Timothy's from? Right here. You are now going to read what Timothy is going to experience before Paul pulls him alongside as his protege, all right? At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet. He was lame from his mother's womb and never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, Paul said with a loud voice, stand up, get on your feet. And the man jumped to his feet and he began to walk. It was a great miracle. <coughs> verse 11 says the crowd goes crazy. The crowd saw what Paul had done and they began to yell, they began to chant. And they said this, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. It's a little odd. And they began, verse 12, and they began calling Barnabas Zeus. They called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple is just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Does this seem weird? Does this seem overboard? This is a weird text. How in the world did the people of Lystra, where Timothy grew up, how did they go from, wow, this miracle, Paul and Barnabas just gave this lame man legs to walk, and now they're saying, oh, the gods have come down to us. Let's, let's have a party. Let's have a sacrifice. How in the world did this happen? How did they go from point A to not even on the alphabet? How did that happen? Well, in order to understand this, you have to understand a little bit of culture and history here. This is pretty fascinating here. You need to understand why Paul and Barnabas were called Zeus and Hermes. 40 years prior to this, 40 years prior to Paul and Barnabas being in Lystra, a Roman author by the name of Ovid, I believe here's a picture of him on the screen, um, Ovid, um, it was a Roman, he wrote um, a book on Greek mythology. If you ever wonder if the Bible talks about Greek mythology, well, here you go. He wrote a book called Metamorphosis on Greek theology. 
And he tells the story of Zeus and Hermes. And he tells the story that Zeus and Hermes came down from wherever they live and disguised themselves, and they came to a place in modern-day Turkey called Lystra. And they came to Lystra disguised, and they wanted to find hospitality with, with mankind. And they traveled around all over Lystra, and they went to a thousand different homes, and a thousand different homes were unhospitable to them, were mean, were rude, were cruel. And Hermes and Zeus were so angry at the people on the earth, they wanted to destroy it with a flood. Hmm. And as they're about to leave, they come across an elderly couple. Uh, Zeus and Hermes come across an elderly couple by the name of Bacchus and Philemon. Not the Philemon from scriptures, okay, because this, this is mythology. And Bacchus and Philemon, this elderly couple, they are hospitable to Zeus and Hermes. And they treat them well and Zeus and Hermes said, listen, Bacchus and Philemon, because you have been so kind to us, we're still going to destroy your city. We're still going to destroy it with a flood, but we're going to save you. And because of that, there's going to be a, a lake here now, and we're going to turn your modest home into a big castle on the lake. And they're like, yes. And then... Bacchus and Fleeman ask, or Zeus and Hermes ask another question. They say this, what is one thing you could wish for that you want? We'll do it for you. And so Bacchus and Philemon said this. This is great for a Valentine's Day story. This is really perfect. This is great. It really is. They said, we are so in love with one another that we never want to be separated from each other. And immediately, Zeus and Hermes turned them into an oak tree and a linden tree intertwined together. And that's a drawing of what that myth looked like. Hmm. So when Paul and Barnabas do a miracle, these people, listen, these people were so caught up in mythology. Hear me out. They were so caught up in mythology and myths that they believed mythology and myths to be true that when Paul and Barnabas came back or came onto the scene and they created this miracle of causing this, blind, this lame man to walk, in their minds what they know is because they believe in a myth, because they believe in mythology, they said, this must be Zeus and Hermes coming back again. We've got to treat these men well because if they don't, what's going to happen? What was their story that they were learning 40 years ago? Because if we don't treat them well, Hermes and Zeus, they are going to destroy us. And so they want to make a, a, an offering and a sacrifice to something that doesn't even exist. Folks, listen, that's what people do who do not believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in a myth, if you believe in mythologies, you are worshiping and believing something that does not exist, and you'll do something that you should not do to worship things that you should not worship. And this is what happens here. And Paul and Barnabas, you look at the rest of the story, and it picks up, you pick up in verse number, in verse number 14, Paul and Barnabas said, no, don't do this. 
They tear their robes, which is a sign of, that's a sign of humility. And they rush out to the crowd. And look at this in verse 14. They, they rush into the crowd in verse 15. They said, men, why are you doing this? And they said, we are men just like you. And what Paul and Barnabas are saying is, don't put us on a pedestal. You, you don't put us up there because we are just like you. And they humble themselves. Because listen, church, are y'all with me? A faithful servant of Christ is always found in positions of humility. You want to change the world, you want to advance the gospel, you take the position of humility. Well, pastor, that's not what our world teaches us today. Yeah, that's right. But that's what our Savior teaches us. Do you remember what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed? Before he was betrayed, before he was arrested, what did he do? He took the towel and the basin, and he got on his knees, and he washed the feet. Because that's what faithful servants of Christ do. And Paul and Barnabas say, get your eyes off of us. As a matter of fact, you read 15, 16, 17, and 18. Here's what, God, here's what Paul and Barnabas do. He says, listen, you don't know what you're doing. You need to look to God, the one who created all things, the one who gave you rain to satisfy the land. And so what Paul does is he speaks to the general revelation of God himself in creation. Later at, at Mars Hill, Paul is going to use a similar technique in his witnessing when he says, you're worshiping a God that you don't even know, you have no idea who he is. Well, let me tell you who he is. The God that we serve, he is the creator, he is the God. Zeus and Hermes, they don't even exist. In all humility, he tells them who God the Father and who Jesus Christ is. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Look at your neighbor and say, unbelievable. Well, so here's what we see in our text. We see Paul and Barnabas, faithful servants. They've used their gifts. They are fearless. They are humble. And here's the last thing that we, we want to talk about today is this. Number four, faithful servants never give up. I want you to look again at verses 19 and 23. Now, remember what has happened <clears throat> they've done a miracle, they've shared the gospel with him, and look at verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch, that's Pisidian, and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, what does it say next? They stoned Paul. What? And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead? You mean to tell me that Paul and Barnabas are giving the greatest news that the world needs to hear and the payment is they get stoned? Not high. Stoned? Do you know what that means when it says they, they, 
they got stoned. Do you know what that means? Do you know how that works in antiquity? The first thing they do is they take you to a ledge outside of town, about a 15 to 20 foot cliff or more. And guess what? And then everybody gets a rock. Stones. It says they stone him, drag him out of the city, and what's that last line? Supposing him to what? Be dead. And look at verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him, thinking that he's dead, Look what it says next. He got up and went back into the city. He gets up and says, hey guys, what's going on? He says, let's go back where we just came from. How many of you would do that? Not many of us, but this is what Paul does. He gets up and he goes back into that city. Why? Why does he go back into that city? Because when it comes to telling people about Jesus, we must never, ever, ever, ever give up. Many of you have been sharing the gospel with somebody in your family, a friend, a coworker, or somebody, and you've tried, 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 and at some point you feel like they have stoned you, they have rejected you, they have drug you out of the city time and time and time and time again. And you want to quit, and you want to stop, and you want to say they are a lost cause. Listen, don't stop. Get up. Go back into the city and tell them about Jesus. Well, pastor, they're going to stone me again. That's right. And you know what you're going to do next? You're going to get up, you're going to dust yourself off, and you're going to go back in. Well, they're going to stone me again. They are. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to stand back up, you're going to dust yourself off, and you're going to walk back into it because Jesus Christ died for every single soul, and every soul needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we can't stop. You can't stop. And you may be saying, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand. You're probably right. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't know the pain you may be going through. I don't know the difficulties you may be going through. I don't know the victories you're going through. I don't. But I do know what my Lord and my Savior said to us that Paul wrote later in Galatians chapter six because he's referencing back to what took place here in the area of Galatia. He said this, do not become weary in doing good because in due time you will reap a great benefit. You keep going on. You don't stop. You get up. And you walk back into that city and you tell them about Jesus. Many of you tonight are going to watch the Super Bowl. 
By the way, Taylor Swift is okay. She made it. I don't know if I told you that or not. She, she made it from, she's okay. Many of you will watch the Super Bowl tonight, some for the game, some for the commercials. <laughs> and, uh, but let me ask you this question. When it comes to halftime, um, does the score of the game matter at halftime? It doesn't. Just ask the Atlanta Falcons of 2016. <laughs> Anybody remember? 28 to 3, yeah, we remember. Does the score at halftime matter? It doesn't. It doesn't. Why? Because you still got to play the second half. Folks, I can tell you many people who are believers in Jesus Christ, their second half of their life is infinitely better than their first half. Do you know why? They don't quit. You don't quit. You don't quit. You keep doing what's right. You keep standing up for the gospel truth. You keep standing up for what the Bible says. You stand up for those hard truths that deal with identity issues, that deal with sexuality issues, that deals with, you, you name it. You keep standing for the truth. You keep getting knocked down. And you keep standing for the truth. Because in due time, you will reap a harvest that you cannot imagine. And just imagine that family member, that friend, that coworker, who one day, when we all get to heaven, will come back to you and say to you, thank you for not giving up on me. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and I thank you for your word, uh, which is true. It is true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Father, I thank you for the example that you have given us in the lives of Paul and Barnabas of using their gifts. Father, I pray that for anybody in this room, if they don't know the gifts, they'll learn it, they'll know it, and then they'll begin to operate in those. I thank you for the example of being fearless. God, many of us are going through some difficult times and it requires great courage and we're, we're weak people. But I pray that we would walk through because you have overcome. And Father, I pray for just a sense of humility for us that, that we would just point people to you and not to ourselves, but to point to Jesus. And then lastly, Father, I thank you that you give us the example of Paul who says, I'm going back. You can stone me, you can drag me, but I'm going back. May we have that same attitude that we would never give up. 
And Father, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, oh God, draw them unto yourself. Convict them of sins and may they turn from their wicked ways and may they turn to follow you. And Father, I pray for us as a church that we would continue to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth to all the people who need you. And may we say today as one body, we will never give up because you didn't give up on us. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.